0: And now our feature presentation, imitating art with Don and Chuck. Shall we begin? We shall. All right. Welcome to imitating art. I'm Don. I'm Chuck. And at imitating art, we like to watch, dissect, and analyze movies, and try to find any life lessons that we might apply to our own lives. Tonight, yeah, we're gonna be... and we'd like
1: to uh, add verbs to our intro when we can
0: we like to add uh, add synonyms subs- add subtract and synonymize things um, <laughs> tonight we're going to talk okay. about fight club a little movie from 1999 that you may have heard of uh an actor called brad pitt is uh, is in it uh and i always forget how long it takes for him to show up in this movie yeah
1: uh, and well to show up proper
0: yeah yeah exactly and also i one of my first notes is all is as always i always forget how long this movie is
1: (laughs) yeah it it, i had watched it several times before i realized that it's like almost two and a half hours long
0: yeah the structure of the movie is really like kind of strange too to the point where it feels like so much happens by the point that you're like wow it's an hour and a half in and we haven't even like they haven't even gotten to like the setup to the end yet
1: yeah like Project Mayhem comes in so late. Okay, so if you haven't seen Fight Club, (laughs) first of all, why haven't you seen Fight Club? Go watch Fight Club. The first rule of this Uh,
0: podcast is go watch Fight Club first.
1: Yeah, Uh, and then the second rule is talk about imitating art to everyone. (laughs) Talk about imitating art. Uh, So uh, we follow, Fight Club follows the narrator, who is nameless, played by Edward Norton, uh, who is trying to sort of form the perfect like single male corporate life uh, he's trying to assemble the, the perfect apartment with uh, you know Ikea catalogs and uh, he has like this sort of perfect corporate job uh, but he's unhappy with his life he's having trouble sleeping He's he's uh, been suffering from insomnia for what feels like a long time before the movie starts yeah for sure uh, And his job, he's essentially a a number cruncher, uh, a a bean counter for uh, a car manufacturer uh, trying to find out, you know, when there's a car wreck, should they perform a recall. Yeah, he just
0: does like risk assessment.
1: Yeah, and uh, very sort of boring life, nothing to his life other than going to work and going home. Until, on one of his trips for work, on the plane, he meets Tyler Durden, played by Brad Pitt, who is immediately the most interesting person Edward Norton has ever met, the most interesting single-serving friend he's ever met. (laughs) It's very clever. Um,
0: Yeah, how's that working out for you?
1: And then, when Edward Norton gets home, his apartment, through what appears to be some accident, has exploded. Uh, so he calls up Tyler Durden, his new friend, and they start kind of living together, hanging out, and then they, uh, Tyler Durden just says, you know, I want you to hit me as hard as you can, and it kind of gets Edward Norton to start coming out of his shell through just kind of fighting with each other, through no malice towards each other, just to kind of get aggression out, and people, other men in similar situations uh, around them start to Notice this, and they start a a fight club where men get together and kind of wail on each other.
0: It's exactly what it sounds like.
1: Yeah, to uh, take out their aggression before returning back to their corporate lives. Um, Tyler starts, you know, becoming the the leader of this group and, and starts really getting the members to perform small acts of anarchy and it eventually becomes project mayhem where they go around town and really perform kind of like corporate terrorism they destroy public like corporate pieces of art and try to destroy Mm -hmm. corporations destroy you know video rental places pretty much anything that's corporate and capitalist they try to destroy and then Tyler disappears and Edward Norton starts learning some secrets he didn't want to know. Uh, also, there's this whole story with a girl named Marla Singer. <laughs> yeah,
0: <clears throat> well, I mean, and the the whole the whole point of Project Mayhem and, as it turns out, Fight Club from the beginning was anarchy and a corporate reset, uh, like a back to zero of the financial system and like to wipe everyone's debt clean. The plan is to destroy all the banking records and the bank buildings uh, by proxy to, you know, reset everybody's debt and set everybody free, basically. Free from their need to pay back debts and student loans and all that kind of stuff. You know, like, basically, everybody's a slave to wages because they need to pay all this stuff off. And if we get rid of that, in theory, they will, you know, everyone will be set free and be able to be whoever they are instead of being a a corporate drone
1: yeah i mean tyler durden's is essentially a a libertarian Uh, (laughs) he's basically ron
0: swanson in weirder clothes
1: yeah he's he's like a a libertarian wet dream kind of (laughs)
0: yeah in more ways than one yeah um (laughs) but uh just 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 to start off i didn't watch this on dvd but that every time i think of fight club that DVD menu music is yeah, the like music. seared in my brain I
1: like the elevator
0: music I've fallen asleep on this movie and woken up to that DVD menu quite a few times in my life
1: so have I
0: <laughs> so um, I, I, so where, where do you land on like the the movie uh, intro credits you know like something that, it used to be way more popular like like that James Bondy kind of intro going through like the neurons or whatever coming out of his brain th- down the, the, the gun barrel. I really liked this intro because it's not overly long, and it actually leads us somewhere. Um, but I, it reminded me of those, like, 90s movies that all started with really long intros.
1: Yeah, I I, I really don't mind uh, long intros, especially on older movies, but I, I kind of miss them in newer movies sometimes because they can really... Do a good job of setting the tone. Uh, a friend of the show, Stefan, and I have had this discussion, like, two or three times very recently. Uh, especially, we watched City Slickers recently, and that starts with, like, a one of those animated uh, credit sequences. Okay. That, again, it just sets the tone. Like, it's silly and funny, and it's got the music that helps set the tone as well. It, it's great. and But this one... Actually, kind of serves a story purpose that we're starting in Edward Norton's brain mm-hmm. before coming out to find Edward Norton and, and Tyler Durden.
0: Yeah, and there were a few of these scenes actually, um, or at least I guess two. Um, I'm thinking of the the sex scene where like the it was like kind of snapshots, but three dimensional, and we were like kind of yeah, it's swinging it's like around. CGI. Yeah, it was so. It was, it was so unique and just unusual, but I mean somehow it just fit into like the dreamscape of this movie. And
1: yeah. well I mean, David Fincher rarely does anything that doesn't fit.
0: Right, but I'm just, I'm yeah. just saying like the, the, the cinematography of this movie is very interesting and very very unique, especially for like, I think for the time, I would say. but it, it, it definitely kind of has this like dark and ominous tone of very contrasty uh, shots. Um, like and just the way that it looks, especially when he's in the office, like the contrast, the, the dark, deep contrast of the blacks in the office. I really like that. Like I think it sets the tone, especially when he goes to like the copier, and then it becomes bright for a second, and you know it's it's kind of like this. It just that that part feels like it's out of place for the rest of the movie, which is what you know he feels out of place when he's in an office. So right. it kind of works <laughs> that way too. Um, but I just love the way this movie looks.
1: Yeah, I, I mean. You- it it's got that signature Fincher look where mm-hmm. everything is like through a green or blue filter. Uh everything feels like meticulously uh like shot, like
0: Definitely. Yeah, Fincher's definitely meticulous. Um Yeah.
1: I, I I probably like I would both love and hate to work with David Fincher, I think.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that's pretty much probably how most people feel about it. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, and we didn't mention, but this is adapted from the Chuck Palahniuk book, which I also love. Um, the he, he he has quite a few books that I really love, um, but Fight Club is one of my favorites. Choke and Invisible Monsters also really great, like kind of psychological, uh, really really well written. And I just and I love the way that they pull quotes from the book, like directly from the narrator. By having the narrator there, you're, they're allowed to do that, and I know that's like yeah. a, a way they that they do it. But but the way that Chuck writes is in such a way that you want to hear his words coming out of someone's mouth on the screen as well.
1: Yeah, I was going to say how how can you not like? It would be very hard to resist just pulling quotes from the book. Yeah, for sure. Because um, he writes it in that sort of like. N- it's written in first person from the narrator's point of view, and he writes it in that sort of like hard-boiled tone of like detective novels in the '30s and '40s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's just got this. It's kind of dark. It's got this great rhythm to it, uh, and it's just very fun to read. Regardless, I mean the story is great too. Yeah. But even if you didn't like the story, like any single paragraph would just be fun to read because of the way he writes. Definitely, rhythm is
0: definitely the right word to, to to say about to talk about the way he writes, um, and it definitely does have like kind of like a modern noir feel to it. Um, like he uses phrases that people don't normally use, and so it's just like getting that into the dialogue of the movie was definitely a good a good decision. Like, um yeah. One of the things that uh, the narrator says toward the beginning is, "You know how, the, you know that old saying, you you how you always hurt the one you love." Well, it works both ways. And, like, that's just, like, that's just, like, a line that could be pulled from any Chuck Palahniuk book. And just, like, yeah. you you kind of know it's his voice. So I, I like that they keep on using that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. Uh, the main character in show could have said that about him and his mother. Uh... Yeah. I don't remember Invisible Monsters. Definitely. Well. I, 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 you definitely I read it Invisible once. Monsters. <laughs> yeah, I kind of remember the dynamic, but it's been so long I, I don't remember it very well. I, I need to read that again. I need to read the like the newer version where he like rearranged Ch- it.
0: Rearrange the chapters? Yeah, I want to read that too. Yeah. Um, I if, if you don't have time to read it or listen to the audiobook, just go back and listen to A Fever You Can't Sweat Out uh, by Panic, and <laughs> it'll catch you up on some of the some of the oh, the beats
1: <laughs> were the songs inspired by invisible monsters i think monsters? two or
0: three of the songs were directly inspired from invisible monsters yeah. and like some of the some of the quotes or some of the lines from the song are direct uh, quotes from the book
1: yeah. i don't think i have the wherewithal to listen to an entire panic album i'm just not <laughs> a huge
0: fan i think one of the one of their more popular songs was uh, the line uh, something is the most fun a girl can have without taking her clothes off, but Nine. it's better. But yeah, uh, but it's better if you do. I don't think it was the two songs back to back, and they're both, they both pull lines from uh, from that book. Yeah. <sighs> but anyway, back to anyway, back to this one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I, was, I would have forgotten to talk about Chuck Palahniuk if we didn't bring it up somehow. Uh, I remember, at one point, I was getting rid of like a bunch of books, and I took all of my books that especially the ones I'd read. I'm not a huge rereader, so I took a bunch of the books I'd already read to the used bookstore and the girl who was like taking all the books to give me store credit was like, "You're getting rid of all your Chuck books?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I kept Fight I, fec- I kept Fight Club and Choke, I think, and Lullaby.
0: You were like there could be only one Chuck. And then you handed yeah. them over and walked <laughs> away. <laughs> yeah. um, was this uh, wind chimes?
1: Yes. Ah,
0: good times. I used to trade in stuff there all the time. <laughs> yep. Um, it, it was a great deal. So the the way that they portray like his insomnia is just great. Like the when he's staring at the copier and it just goes bright and then back and back and these the the line copy of a copy of a copy is like become quite popular and also in a in the Thursday song uh, for the workforce drowning, which so I I can't help but picture that scene every time I hear that song. Mm-hmm. And it's just I like saw repeating everything a, and like the, the office jobs are just so mindless and you never know what day it is unless you see what color tie your boss is wearing. Like I love <laughs> I love how re- they re- represent re- that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, I just saw a copy of a copy of a copy meme today. On, oh really? Reddit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm glad you brought that up. Just just that sequence, because this the fight club starts in Media Res. But it's one of the, like, better done uh, examples of starting in media res. Because usually it's like, here's the crazy situation. And then you dial it back to when things are normal. Mm -hmm. But, for one, it starts with a really interesting situation where you really don't know what's going on. But it makes you curious if you haven't seen it before. But then when it pulls back to, you know, the before times, it's still interesting. Like, he's still in a situation that's a little abnormal that's still interesting. That's still raising questions because it immediately cuts to him in a support group with Bob, played by Meatloaf. Mm-hmm. And you're still like, okay, what's going on here? And then they pull it back again to him being an office worker and suffering from insomnia and just trying to solve it. And it's still, it's not like, I bet you're wondering how I got here. It's, you know, I, I'm i a weird guy and here's going to be the weird story of...
0: yeah. And I mean, that's
1: like six months of my life.
0: That's definitely a, a Chuck character. Um, oh, but yeah. like, it, it also just has that feeling of just being like, how did I get in this situation? Okay, it was, so when I was in this support group, actually, wait a second, I have to go back a little bit farther, because then you don't know why I'm in a support group when I was having the insomnia. Well, before that, like, it feels like that psychological thing of going back, trying to figure out, you just realize this is how the dominoes fell to get you where you were.
1: Yeah. Um, like but that know, doctor
0: was a real shitty doctor, by the way. When he was like, "You want to yeah, see he pain?" Clearly didn't care. Go go see the people down at the support group. And you're like, "What?" Yeah, but he's actually. I know all all pain is relative, <laughs> but come on, he's yeah. he's actually in pain. Give him give him something for it.
1: Yeah, he was like, "You can't sleep." Yeah, I wish I could sleep too.
0: Oh, that sounds familiar. <laughs> 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 yes, but like, uh, yeah. Oh, one the other the only other thing I want to say about that office scene was that that's when he mentioned like everything just becoming corporate when he was like, uh, I can't remember all the references he made, but I know he said planet Starbucks at one point. (laughs) It's like, yeah, it's very true. And I think it's, it's funny how many of the movies we do have to do with like corporations, branding everything. And when I hear things like planet Starbucks, it just makes me think of basketball and Tampax arena. (laughs) they were just talking about how much pro sports got too too corporate. Um, But, uh, and that, yeah, so he does join the support groups and then finds that he, that actually helps him like see the, I guess the relative pain of other people and being around people Mm -hmm. that are, are, allow him to kind of breathe and, you know, cry a little bit and that helps him sleep. But in that first, uh, scene where he's in the support group uh, that's, this is definitely the, the benefit of watching this on a computer with a space bar to pause things. But I was able to pause it and catch Tyler popping up <laughs> in the little cigarette burn scene where he's got his arm around the one guy. <laughs> and I, I always try to, I, I I'm sure I've looked at like a website that points out all of the, the times when he pops up, but you know, I don't, I don't catch them that often when I'm watching it just because I'm like, I, I'm not, I guess maybe I'm not hundred percent focused on it or I'm not looking for it because I get lost in the story. But I did notice that one this time. And I don't know if I had seen that one before.
1: Yeah. It, he shows up as a, like a quote-unquote single frame. They had to make it make it more than one single frame. So, so that you, you can actually see, see him. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I think that's two or three times. Because there's him. There's an exterior shot on the street with him. Uh, you see him at the doctor's office as well. And then there's like the two shots where he's actually there, which is at the airport, and then uh, on the TV oh, as yeah. part of the wait staff. Um,
0: yeah, but I was able to pause and catch him in that one situation. But I I, I do appreciate, again, the the detail that they put in to the movie. You know, it, it, that could be something you could go several times watching the movie without knowing it even happens. Like Just like they, they say about, like, splicing porn into kids' movies, <laughs> where he's like... They they don't know that they saw it, but they know.
1: Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. that first time he actually goes to uh, the support group, just the look on Edward Norton's face when Meatloaf is pulling him in for a hug is so classic. He's yeah. like scared and doesn't know what to do.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's it it is. It's like a, it's an iconic face. He's. I mean, I I love him as an actor. Oh, yeah. but, like I feel like there are just so many like iconic scenes in this movie, the way he plays this character, and it's it's just unmistakable unmistakably from this movie the way he does it, and like nothing yeah. else I've seen him do since,
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, most of this movie is iconic at this point,
0: definitely, and uh, I mean, as I was watching it, I was like there there's just so much of this that it just like still you know and and it and it holds up like really well i think i I think this mm-hmm. is great, like it doesn't feel dated really like it just it, it feels great you know I know they're demagnetizing VHS tapes but you know <laughs> that doesn't really take away from anything Um yeah but yeah so he's at these support groups he's at the the testicular cancer support group and you know it's like it's it's interesting I, I think that was a good choice for for the movie because I feel like Part of this movie is about like masculine energy and being emasculated and feeling emasculated and wanting to do something that makes you, you know, feel big again or whatever, like be able to get out your male aggression and, and having a support group full of males who have been quote unquote emasculated because they've lost, or feeling Mm -hmm. emasculated because they've lost their, their testicles because of cancer. Like that is like, that's a perfect mirror to hold up to the people who are maybe feeling this way for other reasons.
1: Yeah. I I would say like the biggest difference between watching this movie as a young man in your twenties and then watching it in your thirties is realizing that in Fight Club, ultimately like toxic masculinity is the real enemy. Yeah. (laughs) Which is what Tyler truly represents.
0: Definitely. Absolutely. Um, But Uh, overall like it's it's interesting that he's in these support groups some of them for you know people who are dying and he's addicted to support groups because it's the only thing that makes him you know able to feel okay and it's just it's it's just an interesting little thing that he's now addicted to support (laughs) as a part as opposed to people who go to groups because they're addicted to things you know
1: yeah yeah and, I mean, he's he's kind of living vicariously through them, right? He he can't really show emotion in his real life. He has no opportunity to. So the fact that he's going to a place where everyone is just kind of letting loose and actually listening to him if he chooses to talk, even if what he's saying is bullshit, uh, you know, he's able to kind of co-opt their emotion and let loose and, and finally sleep. And... yeah. I also thought it was interesting that he's going to these support groups for people who are actively trying to solve their problems while he's like actively trying to escape his problems. Right,
0: that's true. I didn't think of it that way. And he, well, so he he has this great little escape and then he meets the big tourist, Marla Singer. Marla Singer. And uh, he realizes she is also doing the same thing he is, but, you know, for different reasons once he confronts her about it she is doing it because it's cheaper than a movie and they have free yeah. coffee. So and she's just doing it, she's doing it just for fun. He's doing it because he needs it. So he can't, he suddenly is insomniac again. Like he can't sleep, he can't cry when there's another faker around and he realizes that this can't go on so he confronts her. And yeah. they have that great, they, they have such a great, like, antagonistic chemistry with each other where yeah. she's like oh well it's not my problem i don't know what to tell you and then yeah. eventually they end up splitting them up but uh another I one
1: practicing of... this <laughs> yeah
0: mm-hmm. yeah like i like how uncomfortable he gets when she's like what, what are you talking about i know yeah. he like she definitely has the upper hand in the situation
1: yeah I like because you get to see his imagination where he comes in with all of the power in that conversation and then in the real conversation, again, with part of the theme of him feeling emasculated is he goes to tell her off, and she just immediately takes the power away from him.
0: Yep. Yeah. And I, I and there's two things. First, I love that when they're splitting them up, he says, like, I should definitely get testicular cancer. That's a no-brainer. And she's like, well, yeah. technically, I have more of a right to be there than you do. You, you still have your testicles. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which is a great line. And also a great... <laughs> A great uh, Chuck line again is uh, he describes Marla as the scratch on the roof of your mouth that would go away if only you could stop tonguing it. Yeah. And it's like the, just the
1: flap of skin on the roof of your mouth. <laughs> oh, okay. It I thought you said the scratch. Yeah, it's
0: amazing. Because <laughs> it's yeah. something that everyone can relate to. <laughs> and then he's on a uh, plane, and the guy next to him has the same briefcase.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, after telling him about how. They give you oxygen on planes to calm you down. Yeah. <laughs> N- not so you can breathe. Calm as uh, Hindu cows. Calm as Hindu cows.
0: Because <laughs> oxygen you become, gets you high.
1: You become euphoric. docile. Yeah. You accept I love, your fate. like
0: it's it's just fun like seeing the like the that dichotomy and I mean that keeps coming up, but just like watching him knowing that like it's a part of himself is like, Oh, this is what I'm supposed to believe. This is really what I have down deep inside that I don't really want to believe. I'm going to hold that back. But, like, he talks about the illusion of safety based on, like, the plane, you know, showing you, here's how you get out of an exit door. He's like, oh, an exit door maneuver at 20,000 feet. That's very helpful. (laughs) But, like, (laughs) the illusion of safety is definitely, like, a big thing in, like, a a big theme in the movie because that's what all this stuff is about your, like, the jobs, your apartment, all the things you think you need to make you comfortable. That's all an illusion of safety. You know, it's something that you put around you as a safety blanket, as a comfort, just to keep you from feeling like you don't, you're not, you are not like, you're out of control, you know? So it comes up in the plane scene in a very real way, but it is really what like a lot of the rest of it's about as well, or like not feeling secure in your own personality or your own body to say, you know, this is me. I have to be the toxic masculine person that I was told I'm supposed to be.
1: Yeah, and I remember um, in college, uh, one of my professors, Steve, made us watch that introduction scene on the airplane uh, because he just thought it was a a great way of introducing a character uh, in a screenplay. Because for the first you know twenty or so minutes of the movie, you're following Edward Norton. You're you know he's interesting you you, kind of like him he makes you know the single serving friend joke is you know clever clever. the first time you hear it and then tyler durden shows up and then immediately steals the show uh makes fun of the joke without really making fun of it and now he's kind of making fun of you for thinking it was clever the first time and uh just kind of almost telling edward norton here's what's wrong with your life um and just, uh, he does it super calmly, almost monotone. And it's just a great way of hooking you onto a character like very briefly and then letting him go away for a while before he yeah. returns.
0: And when he goes away, it's a question of etiquette. Do I give him the ass or the crutch?
1: <laughs> I mean, and of course
0: he gives, he gives Edward Norton the ass and then he walks by the stewardess or the, the flight attendant and gives her the crutch.
1: There we go. I'm, I can't tell you how often that quote, has come up in my life ever since I saw this movie.
0: Yeah. Uh, it, it does, you know, I mean, does it, uh, basically anytime I have to scoot by someone on a plane or a, or a train or anything.
1: <laughs> it, it's universal, and then I hear, you know, other people say in similar situations too, so.
0: So, I gotta say, airport baggage guy is probably one of the best <laughs> actors in this movie.
1: Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> He's um, so good. Oh, uh, I almost forgot to say, so <laughs> the day that we were going to watch that airplane scene, I can't remember if the DVD was messed up or or, or if the professor couldn't get the DVD player to work or, or uh-huh. something, and one of our classmates pointed to me and Max, and she was like, we don't even need to watch it, just have Chris and Max quote it. <laughs> <And> they could <laughs> nice. probably do the whole scene, because we just, we quoted movies a lot, but we quoted Fight Club a whole lot. I mean, the movies, again, the rhythm of the the dialogue just makes it very easy to remember and quote the lines. So
0: did you just get up there and act it out for everyone?
1: Uh, No. We watched (laughs) the scene. (laughs) But yeah, Uh, the the airport security guy, I've quoted that scene so many times. Yeah.
0: Also helps me remember what an indefinite article is.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Indefinite (laughs) article. A dildo. Never your dildo but
0: i don't have it mm-hmm. <laughs> he's <Nope. laughs> just the way i mean i was just watching him the whole time and i was like this guy is killing it <laughs> i don't know yeah. i don't know what else he's been in but he is great in this scene <laughs> um he it just so like it's so many subtle things that he's doing all at the same like he's on the phone he's like taking a drink of something he's like kind of non-verbally doing things but just like everything about that scene is just great
1: yeah just to give you an idea of how how much stuff happens in this movie, the story hasn't started yet from where we're talking about. <laughs> yeah,
0: we're a minute like thirty five at this point. <laughs> <laughs> um, and as a quick this is when um, when they're heading back to the apartment, I, I, one of the things I noticed when he's looking out the the door at baggage claim, he sees Tyler jump in a in a red convertible and drive away. And then he, there's a guy being like, Hey, that's my car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I wondered how much of like the like Tyler is like narrator's imagined desires. Like he's like, I wish I could just go hop in that car and just take it now. Because he takes a taxi home when he goes back to the apartment. He doesn't it's not yeah. him stealing the car. but just yeah. like that's just his mind like kind of running wild, being like, I could just steal that car, but I know I should just take this shitty taxi, which is called Scat. <laughs> which stands for Senior Citizen Affordable Taxi. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know if I've ever noticed that before, but when he opened the door, I just had to I never noticed that. Had to take notice.
1: <laughs> did did you I notice just... that uh at his apartment complex the sign says the name of the complex and then it says a place to be somebody?
0: No, I never noticed that either. Which huh.
1: I wonder how much just that slogan factored into him choosing that complex to live.
0: I can finally be somebody. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, but so his apartment is completely trashed and blown up. He has a fridge full of condiments, and he's embarrassed and no by it. No food, like it's all, uh, like it's all dressing. You might say, I just, yeah. <laughs> it's not re- nothing of substance. I I don't know if that is the intention of that scene, but that's something I j- literally just thought of that when I thought of it. But he, um, yeah, he. So he 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 calls Tyler, and like they, they meet up for a beer, and he kind of confesses that he was like i had armani ties i had this and this and this and this i was so and he says i was so close to being complete
1: yeah. like he shit, really thought Shit, man now it's all gone
0: <laughs> yeah i, I loved <laughs> i love tyler's delivery ah <laughs> oh, shit yeah now it's all gone like it's totally <laughs> flippant. he doesn't give a shit yep. um so like you're 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 seeing like the complete opposite sides of that like mindset of what you like I needed all this stuff I was so close to being perfect and then the other being like oh well it's all gone who gives a shit
1: yeah and then Tyler being you know the things you own end up owning you Uh,
0: yeah just talking about
1: why 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 do guys like you and I know what a duvet is
0: yeah it's a blanket because
1: we're consumers
0: (laughs) Yeah, but the things you own end up owning you is just like a great, I mean, that really is just what it is. The, the things you, you start, you become a slave to those things. You have a car and then you have a car payment, so you need a job to pay for that. And then you're a slave to your job and, you know, it, and, and the list goes on. Um, and, I, and I was,
1: just like when you decorate your house, you know, you want all of it to look good. So yeah. you're not disturbing the things, you know, you're cleaning <laughs> the things. Well, yeah. some people do. <laughs>
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, and then, so when they go back to Tyler's house, I, I've always, I've always liked that they live on Paper Street, since that's a uh, like an old term for something that doesn't exist, like Paper Street, uh, a Paper Street or a Paper Town would is, is like the name of some, like something that doesn't exist. It's on a map, but it's not real.
1: I knew that book didn't exist. <laughs> go on. Paper towns. Yeah.
0: <laughs> John Green. I never read it. Me neither. Um, so. So, yeah, they. Uh, well, actually, I, was, oh, I I, forgot to mention, because they. We, it's so long before they start fighting. This is when they actually yeah. fight for the first time, when he says, hit me as hard as you can. Yeah. It hits him in the ear, which is a, one of the funnier scenes in the movie.
1: <laughs> and then they even take longer to get there, because he says, I want you to hit me as hard as you can, and then the narrator interrupts it to tell you about what Tyler Durden is all about, and his jobs and everything.
0: Oh, yeah. Like,
1: um, it, de- it delays the first fight for basically as long as it can before finally having edward norton hit him in the ear
0: yeah and i think that i mean that has i think that's a lot to do with like edward norton's you know the narrator's resistance to giving over to this side of himself like he's just really being like i shouldn't do this this is not me you know i can't do it and i'm really holding back and holding back and he finally punches him in the ear and then they end up getting into like a nice actual fight in the parking lot yeah. and it's really um, just
1: like a little scuffle it's, it's yeah not yeah like they're really having fun fight. like they're
0: They're just sparring. Like, they're just wrestling with each other a little bit. That's not proper.
1: They're, like, hurting each other, but they're not, like, doing any real damage.
0: Yeah, they're not beating the shit out of each other. They're just, like, giving each other real punches. Um, Yeah. The punching sounds in this movie, I'm sure this is part of David Fincher's vision as well, but, like, the punching sounds sound really good in this movie. I appreciate they don't do too much, like, fake stuff. I'm sure there's a lot of, like, punching slabs of beef kind of stuff to make the sounds or whatever, but, like... The punching sounds sound really good, and like they that really adds to the effect of of the fights.
1: I without looking it up, I can guarantee you that that was exactly what David Fincher wanted. Da- David Fincher is kind of a micromanager uh, to the point where when they were editing The Social Network, like he would be there with the sound editor, and they would cobble together David Fincher's favorite line performances from the actors to the point where they would cobble together like single words from multiple performances to get the exact performance that david fincher wanted
0: wow that is some micromanaging (laughs) yeah (laughs) um so uh, yeah after they start living together it's i think this is where the scene comes in where they they start reading the poetry i am jack's Etc. Etc. Cetera, et cetera. Yeah,
1: from Reader's <laughs> Digest.
0: Yeah, and it's 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 funny because it's like such a thing that I remember about the movie, but it doesn't. You know, it's it's just like a little wordplay thing, or like like a little side thing. It doesn't really factor into anything.
1: Yeah, it it just gives the narrator uh,
0: a unique way, way of to, speaking. to
1: to comment on what's going on. Yeah, that is just fun to hear.
0: And I love that when he's reading them Tyler is just riding that stupid bike around and around <laughs> inside. He's always like,
1: <laughs> doing just silly stuff like when he's playing with the nunchucks.
0: Yeah. That house, like whatever whenever they're in that, that house is just some like weird absurdist fun house. It's just so, <laughs> it is so strange. The things that that they the the scenes that you see in there. If you just see like a cut scene from that of him riding through while Edward Norton's sitting on the floor reading from <laughs> Reader's Digest, it's so so ridiculous. Yeah, and the things that Tyler it, wears also.
1: Well, yeah, <laughs> amazing. Uh, we should say it's it's an abandoned house uh, that yeah. they are squatting in. I can't remember what. Alex and I were watching recently, but someone was wearing Tyler Durden's bathrobe with the teacups on it. Yeah, the nanny. Was it the nanny? Fran Drescher, I thought day? you said. Yeah.
0: Wasn't yeah. it Fran Drescher?
1: Very possibly. I I like, I don't have the memory of what we're yeah, watching I, now, but if I told you that, then, then yeah. Yeah,
0: you told me. That's the only reason I would know that. <laughs> but... uh Oh, what was I just gonna say? The um, oh, they said he he said the narrator said like I didn't I don't know if Tyler was squatting here or if he owned it, neither would surprise me, but then later in the movie Tyler says like, the lease is in your name, so I guess they own it, <laughs> or yeah. he I mean unless that was a strange figure of speech.
1: That's true. Uh, but he probably I mean by that point he was in like full manipulation mode but it doesn't seem like either way he, he was doesn't really lying about anything at it that doesn't point. really
0: matter if he owned it or if he was squatting there uh neither would surprise me and i and it doesn't matter <laughs> to me yeah um uh, they it, this is around the time where narrator and tyler start acting a little more like like they kind of start walking in unison they're both smoking a cigarette at the same time and they yeah. get on the bus and they're kind of eyeing everybody up and sizing people up and he's and like everybody's a, everybody's a mark, we're looking out for everything. And this is the part on the bus where he's said where they look at the Calvin Klein ad and they're like is that what a man looks like? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think it's really, really
1: masturbation. Yeah, I love that line, but I also
0: think it's funny because Tyler Durden is like the perfect male spe- specimen that every guy wants to be like.
1: It's Brad Pitt in his prime with the V That's muscle. what I mean.
0: It is the one, it's the one that everyone goes to the trainer and says, I know what I want to look like. And the trainer says, yeah, I know Brad Pitt and Fight Club, not going to happen. So it's it's like, it's funny seeing the guy that looks like that being like, is that what a man is supposed to look like? Well, Yeah. yeah, it's what you look like. So the next quote I have written down here is the, from Marla. Where she says the condom is the glass slipper of our generation, I just had to mention that as a great quote. <laughs> that could totally come in a uh, uh, "Of Panic at the Disco" song <laughs> as well. <laughs> um, but, but like Marla's something else, like herself, like she's pretty, pretty, pretty crazy. But putting up with Tyler, like he takes it to a new lever, new level, and. Yeah. Like, I could just imagine what she's been thinking when, you know, they go upstairs together and then they come down and he's making coffee and suddenly he doesn't realize he's the other guy <laughs> now. He's Mr. Hyde now. And he's like, what are you doing in my house? Get out of this my house. It's my house. Yeah. And like, she's got to be, it's amazing. She comes back so many times.
1: Yeah. For those of you who maybe haven't seen it, spoiler alert, if you haven't figured it out yet, turns out Tyler and Edward Norton are the same person.
0: Yeah, and now I know people have accused you and I of being the same person, but it's not true.
1: <laughs> <laughs> not being the same person, sharing a brain.
0: Oh, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's the opposite in this one. There's two different brains in one body. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So this is this is also around when they start making soap, which is Tyler's way of making money. And it's I, I, I like I really like the idea of making soap from human fat. Because you're, like, you're making something useful out of something that, like, people don't like about themselves. Like, they get yeah. liposuction to take the fat away from them. And then he's, as he and says, when he comes right to them. selling yeah. women their fat asses back to each other or back to them yeah. or something like that. Rich women, yep. I think he says. But, like, it's, it's, a, it's just an interesting device. And I don't know if there was more, you know, more to it in that sense. Like, it's something that's supposed to be cleansing. But... I I wasn't able to like pull too much from that, but I feel like there's there's got to be something there with the soap.
1: Maybe uh, well, it's also, you know, soap is cleansing, but they also get to use it as a form of destruction as as well. Hmm. You know, with enough True. soap, you could blow up just about anything.
0: Good point. Yeah, <laughs> so I forgot they said that.
1: Mm-hmm. And um, they're funding it by the you know the by stealing it from the people who society is told they shouldn't look a certain way and which is part of Tyler's whole thing too, you know. Does a room man look like that? Uh, yeah. so it's all like this anti-corporate thing like they're using this thing that corporatism is telling people and then using it to make money off of it by selling it back to the very same people.
0: So one of the one of the things is hard about this movie to like try to follow along is that there's so much like kind of jumping around and kind of this like crazy stuff where you don't always know what's going on even though you've seen it before. It's really hard to kind of keep straight in your mind what what comes before and after what because you're jumping around back and forth between these two mindsets and uh, the narrator doesn't always know what's happening, like what Tyler's doing behind his back when he's asleep. So things are happening and things are being set into motion and then you find out about them with the narrator, which is always fun, Uh, like the beginning of Project Mayhem.
1: (laughs) uh, (laughs) We're not quite there yet. Again, it's that sort of like hard-boiled style of of writing where whether Mm -hmm. it's like a noir mystery or just like a gritty drama like double indemnity there's in those kinds of stories there's almost always something that the main character doesn't know or realize but they're getting sucked into the situation and then it's the thing that they don't know that ends up being their downfall
0: right um one of the other Things I wrote down was uh, a, a quote from Tyler. He said, our fathers were our models for God. If they bailed, what does that tell you about God? Which yeah. I thought was an interesting uh, note on his part.
1: Yeah, that's uh, another great scene because they're both commiserating about how they've basically spent their lives trying to live up to the dreams of their fathers who are not right. in their lives any longer. Um, right, and that's which a is how they got in this situation in the first place
0: a good reference, whether that be, uh, the literal father who has expectations for you, or just like the father figure of society that's telling you, you need to grow up and be a man and be this way.
1: Yeah, Like they're telling you what you need to do.
0: Um, (laughs) get a job, Grouch. (laughs) I, um, (laughs) I had written down here somewhere. Um, let me see. Um, so I was thinking about how since, since we're talking about fathers and stuff, I, th- it, I I think it's interesting that this movie like became like so popular with like high school boys and or like college guys, because like, you know, you're coming into this big this part of your life where there's so many changes. And, you know, like you have this like, ma- you know, your adolescence and this masculine aggression and people telling you at the cusp of your adulthood, what you're supposed to be doing with your life. And like, this is exactly what you need to expect. This is what you need to do. You need to get the job. You're going to go to college, get the job. Then you get the khakis. Then you get the girl. Then you have the family. (laughs) And then you die. You know, like, it's like, and you have to, you know, support your economy by buying things along the way. And I feel like there's just so much being thrown at you all at that, like, period of, of time, which is like, it makes sense that young men are you know we're latching onto to this movie and yep. seeing an outlet for like masculine aggression I actually knew people in high school who had a fight club hard hard air quotes you know they'd go punch each other in the woods sometimes mm-hmm. and you know people like really on. latched on latched on to the ideas behind this movie and I think it really it helps that you have these two characters that are at, at the same character but are at odds with each other which is really, you know, it's kind of like coming into adulthood is really that way. I mean, life is that way, but coming into adulthood, especially like you're trying to figure out who you actually are, not who you're told to be. And, you know, there's some, there's a rebellious nature to it. And there's just, it, it's just trying to decide like who you're going to be. Like, do you take the road that's drawn out for you? Or do you issue some of that stuff and like kind of go on your own path and follow your own your own interests and it's, it's a hard, it's a hard thing for everybody, you know? So it makes sense that these people who are like ultra testosterone, you know, 17 to 25 year old people, boys, especially trying to figure out what to do with all that aggression and all that, all the the choices on top of it.
1: Yeah. I I do wonder how many uh, nice guys TM this, this movie has bred because it's, it's exactly that kind of thinking.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you said, like this toxic masculinity toxic masculinity—really is the the enemy that they're fighting against, or they should be fighting against. Yeah, and
1: it, it's the enemy that's overtaking them. Hmm.
0: Yeah, and that's. I mean, and I feel like these people probably see the outlet of hitting another guy. As more of a psychological outlet than going to a support group and saying how you really feel.
1: Yeah, and crying in front of other men. Oh yeah, God forbid, By God,
0: you you cry in front of another man. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Um. Yeah, and what are we? What are we here? Like an hour and hour and thirty in right now? <laughs> we still yeah, got. It's... We still got almost an hour left in the movie.
1: Yeah. And then even like even the way um they start project mayhem by denying everybody entrance to to project mayhem yeah uh to to sort of make sure they they want it enough and to, yeah, it's to kind breed, of this weird... and to breed more desire in into the people who want in
0: it's definitely kind of a bullshit gatekeeping thing they got going on there <laughs> although it does make for for some funny scenes <laughs> yeah. you're too um,
1: fucking Blonde! <laughs> I think that's like Neither. the worst line reading in the movie.
0: Definitely is, and I was good. <laughs> I, and it, it stands out very much against everyone else's acting. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I know, but I know you love it, so I was waiting for you to say it. <laughs> um, but speaking of a good line, uh, again, one of the probably the most well-known lines is it. It's only after we've lost everything that we're free to do anything. Yeah, And, you know, I mean, that's an easy, like, one-liner to latch on to and be like, yeah, that's my philosophy for life. That's going to be me. I'm going to do that. But it's not healthy. We can talk more about that in lessons. So.
1: Yeah. And uh, the Raymond K. Hassel scene is also very well known, too, uh, where they drag a, a convenience store clerk out into a back alley. Tyler holds a gun to his head and is just asking him what he wanted to be like he he didn't want to be a convenience store clerk what yeah. did you want to do with your life and he eventually gets out of raymond k Hassel that he wanted to be a veterinarian but he dropped out of school because it was too much homework essentially and yeah. uh eventually you know he lets him go and says you know if you're not on your way to becoming a veterinarian in what is it six months something like that yeah you know i have your address i'm, I'm gonna find you and then mm-hmm. Edward Norton's just like, what the hell was that about? And, you know, tomorrow will be the greatest day of Raymond K. Hessel's life. Yeah. His breakfast and I mean, will taste better than any you or I have ever tasted. It's
0: true. And format be damned, I'll just say that. Are, uh, we're, I, I wrote down, based on, since you talked about that scene and I the, the quote I just mentioned, I wrote that we're conditioned to think that we owe these shitty jobs our time and life while we put our dreams and desires on the back burner indefinitely. And we look out longingly, longingly at what we want or what we dream for and tell ourselves we can't have it because we have to go to work oh. and it's too much work or whatever. But then when you lose that one thing or you have that little scene where somebody, your, your life could have ended, you realize that your priorities might not be so straight after all and you could put more time toward your dreams and you'll be happier in the end. So it's it, it is a good, quick little scene there um with with him and it's, it's funny because he's in he, the character he's only there for that he's yeah it doesn't have anything else to do with the movie at all so we don't know what's happened to him but you have to imagine that tyler's probably right <laughs> he's probably going to wake up and start pursuing his dreams and eventually despite how it happened be happy he did
1: he's gonna at least start trying we don't know if he's gonna keep up it's true with it. he might not yeah.
0: follow through it might be too much homework
1: um yeah, so that was Poetry Corner from Don. Um, <laughs> uh, also, the uh, experiencing near death. That's you know that's the same lesson uh, Tom Cruise learns at the beginning of Vanilla Sky. Sure, <laughs>
0: when, I haven't seen that in a long time. When they're all in the car, yeah. driving on the highway, and Tyler pulls the car to one side and drives in the opposite lane, and asks like, "What do you want to do with your life?" Yeah, and I was going to say, nar- "He's doing the, the same doesn't thing." What's that?
1: Yeah, I was going to say, he's doing the same thing. He's asking the yeah, narrator exactly. and the, the two members of Project Mayhem uh, in the back seat.
0: Yeah. He's uh, like, I want to, I forget what he said. I want to build a birdhouse. Yeah. <laughs> I want to build a deck or
1: something. Something like that.
0: But like they had quick, they had quick answers and, na- and the narrator is just like, just doesn't know. He just doesn't know.
1: Yeah. He's like, he's I so don't know. Like, I guess like, I wouldn't be happy with my life.
0: He spent so much time like building his life as to what he's been told or sold to that he needs to be. He doesn't really know what he, who he is or what he wants anymore.
1: Yeah. And, and he spent Um, so much of his life thinking about how depressing the things in his life are without ever considering how to change it. Yep.
0: And speaking of being like the stuff you're being sold to, Tyler says that we're all raised to believe we're going to be millionaires or rock stars or whatever. And most of us just ended up, end up being mediocre, you know? So, I mean, it's a, it's a hard reality to face. And it's funny, like the, like Tyler's, the way Tyler acts is really great and just fun, but it's just interesting seeing the way that normal people react to him or Tyler or the narrator. Like when, uh, I mean, I know they're the same person, but I guess the narrator we see interacting with other other people, but like when he acts crazy to his, his boss, like people just don't know how to act. When people don't like fit into that cookie cutter mold of like, this is how people act. When you say hello to them, they say this. When you ask them a question, they say this. If I ask them to work overtime, they're going to say yes. You know, when people push back against that normalcy, people just don't know how to react.
1: To be fair, Edward Norton was threatening terrorism to his boss. Sure. I
0: mean, yeah, it's a bit extreme. (laughs) (laughs) But like when he's like, what uh, is that your blood? And he's like, yeah, some of it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> like people don't know how to react to that. No. Yes, this is my blood. Yes, I'm comfortable with that.
0: <laughs> the uh, I think it's this is the one I'm thinking of where they where the, he is finally trying to like stop Project Mayhem from happening, where he's like yeah. he's he's on the security camera. Well, Go first
1: I, I'm gonna say this first. Uh, he didn't know that Project Mayhem was even a thing. It's this thing right. that kind of popped up around him, and all of a sudden, all of the space monkeys as uh, i can't remember if they actually refer to them as space monkeys other than they the one line in the movie mm-hmm. uh but i know in the book they uh, the narrator kept referring to the members of project mayhem as space monkeys oh yeah uh,
0: he does he calls the guy a space monkey after he shaves his head and smacks him on the back of the head
1: <laughs> yeah well yeah i was gonna say i know that tyler durden is referencing space monkeys in the one line i can't remember if the narrator actually consistently oh, okay. calls them space monkeys uh in the movie gotcha. but um so, yeah, it's, it, but all the space monkeys are, like, they just start kind of blindly following Tyler uh, like a cult. And the, the narrator really takes offense to it because, you know, he thought Fight Club was his and Tyler's thing together. And now he's kind of getting pushed out and, and kind of getting emasculated again by, by Tyler. Right. Uh, by kind of removing him from this group that now, you know, resides... In his house.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, they have just been, like, going on like this. Like, they've really upped the ante with the anarchy. Like, they're doing some, like, real corporate destruction and really destroying some stuff, which is just a big lead-up to them setting, you know, getting enough people in all the right positions in these uh, these banking buildings and setting explosive charges in the, in the basements of them to, to blow them all up. Yeah, after Bob gets shot in the head. Robert Paulson.
1: Yeah, Robert Paulson. Um yeah. <laughs> The scene where Bob gets like they Project Man pulls the pull the body into like the kitchen or whatever. That scene is just such a great display of frustration where Edward Norton is just trying to be like You guys are idiots. Like, you know, what did you think was gonna happen? And just trying to be like you know, and you know, bury him in, in the in the backyard. And he's like, no, this this is a person. Like, he hasn't, you know, a member of Project Mayhem has no name. But no, this was a person who had a name. It's Robert Paulson. And then right. then just like full on cult mode. You know, I understand. In death, a member of Project Mayhem has a name. His name. is yeah, Robert Yeah, it feels Paulson. very
0: like it feels very cuey in a certain way where they're like anything that somebody says, they're gonna be they're gonna find a way to be like. I get what he's saying. I interpreted it, what he really meant was, in death, we have a name.
1: Yeah, like they just all become little, you know, Tyler disciples and everything they say is kind of filtered through what they've learned from him. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, but yeah, so um, Bob dying and everything getting out of hand is when Edward Norton is like, I have to find Tyler. And so he finds all of Tyler's plane tickets and starts... Flying around to all the cities, realizes that there's some form of a Fight Club or Project Mayhem in all of these major cities. Always like a step behind Tyler before he meets uh, one, of the, one of the most memorable actors in the movie. The dude with the fucked up face in the halo. Clearly oh, yeah. from something that's happened in Fight Club or Project Mayhem. Who tells him, you know, you're Tyler Durden. You're the man who gave me the scar on on my Mm -hmm. fist.
0: And shortly after that, he calls Marla and says, have we ever had sex? She's like, do you mean, have we ever had, are we just having sex or are we making love? And and then she's like, say my name, Tyler Durden. And he's like, full stop.
1: Yeah. We have just lost cabin pressure. Like Uh, he
0: just needed to hear it from her, even though the other guy just told him basically.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean... He's going to, at this point, he's going to trust Marla way more than he's going to trust any of these other, yeah. like, underlings. But definitely
0: um, he's, like, in a little bit of denial about it as well. Oh, yeah. like he needs to he needs to make sure.
1: He needs to hear it from someone he has a, some sort of relationship with. Right. Um, and someone who would definitely know for sure because she's been there the whole time. Uh, yeah. And then Tyler just shows up in uh, in the hotel room and tells him, you know, why would anyone possibly confuse you for me? That's Brad yeah. Pitt saying that to Edward Norton. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that that was uh not in the script, but he actually yeah, <laughs> <laughs> <just> pulled that. <laughs> David Fincher was like,
1: oh, that's good. We're keeping that.
0: Oh, that's gold. <laughs> it's gold, Jerry. But uh, <laughs> speaking of denial, though, I, I wrote that he's like, The narrator is able to blame Tyler, like this part of himself that is Tyler, for the things that he thinks is too extreme while maintaining that disconnect and that denial from things that are, you know, part of him.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's disassociating, which he's been doing Mm -hmm. for a a large part of the movie, especially in the scenes when Marla and Tyler are having sex. The mm-hmm. Edward Norton personality, you know, is brushing his teeth or just, just trying to drown it out and, and avoid it in whatever yeah. way he can. So, so yeah, and, it's, and, you know, Edward Norton figures out that there's this plot to destroy all of these, like, bank buildings and, like, credit card companies and tries to warn the companies. But unfortunately, everyone he can contact at those companies are members of Project Mayhem who are setting this yeah. up. Uh, safely um, by the way they're making sure no innocent people are getting killed uh, yeah uh, just the banks you know, just, just that the buildings and uh, the records are going down yeah
0: that's what I was starting to say before like when he was when he was fighting Tyler in the back of that van and we see the security footage where he's just fighting himself it's just like all the scenes in this movie where he fights himself are some of my favorite scenes that Edward Norton has acted
1: <laughs> yeah yeah
0: it's just it's so, so fun. So well done.
1: It's funny. And so that shot where Tyler throws Edward Norton down the stairs, uh, apparently they had the stuntman do that like eight or nine times, something like that, maybe a couple mm-hmm. more. And then they use the first take. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: gotta be your, gotta be one of the things you complain about as a stuntman when you go home <laughs> Have yeah. you do it nine times. and they use the first damn take. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Oh, and speaking of Project Mayhem, you know, as much of an anarchist syndicate as it is, they basically have just unionized all of the undervalued workers who are getting, you know? It's just, it's pretty interesting how they do that. Like, especially when they like hold that guy down in the bathroom at the banquet and they say, we collect your trash. We protect you. Like, we're your police. We're your firemen. We are all these people.
1: We watch you while you sleep.
0: Yeah, like it's... But like, but when you really think about it, it's like, oh, all these like city employees and like people who are like seen as part of the sideline, not like, not the upper echelon of people, like they've all been like, we need to get together and stick together and stick it to those people that are like taking, basically taking the money away. And as it turns out, not paying any taxes, but (laughs) like, it's like, we're finally like saying like, we are all one. We have to use our numbers against these people.
1: Yeah. Uh, they're just going about it in the absolute Sure. Worst not, way. I I mean
0: it, it might be slightly uh slightly misguided but well, much like a lot of things slightly like extremely uh extreme measures are are necessary at times but they want just want to get everything back to zero.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean that that's the problem with uh taking your uh, philosophy from a movie like this is that a lot of the things that Tyler says are true and you should take some sort of lesson from them. But the means of correcting things are completely off.
0: So, anyway, I mean, this is basically the end of the movie. And one of the best things happens here is where Tyler takes that fur jacket off in like that <laughs> kind of fun dancy way and just like lets yeah. it fall off. And then and then he starts like doing like like karate moves. Just, yeah. It's hilarious. He just go
1: he's full dirt in at that point.
0: Yep. <laughs> he's gone full dirt. in. Um, but yeah, then we're back on the upper floor where. uh where Edward Norton has a has a gun in his mouth.
1: Yeah, Uh where we started. I still can't think of anything.
0: <laughs>
1: flashback. And humor. then,
0: yeah, I was going to say flashback humor. Great, great little little quip there. Narrate the narrator can't even kill himself, right? He just yeah. shoots himself yeah. in the back of the throat, but he oh. does kill Tyler.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or well, he does kill his, it's his uh, projection. It's a s- symbolic uh, suicide, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he eventually realizes that if Tyler has a gun, no. I have the gun.
0: Yeah, and then the gun appears in his hand.
1: Yeah, and then he, he points it, you know, under his chin, like, "Oh, why do you want to point a gun at your head? No, not not my head, our head." And then yeah. that that's when Tyler finally is like, "Okay, I'm listening."
0: <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it's the only time you see like Tyler lose the power.
1: So, yeah, he puts puts it in his mouth and pulls the trigger, but it goes out like the side of his cheek, essentially. Yeah. But again, it's more the symbolism of taking the power away from from Tyler. Yeah,
0: And then we get to, then he gets to sit there with Marla and watch and the world explode around him, watch all these buildings blow up.
1: And listen to and, the Pixies.
0: Uh, man, yeah, that that song, that Forever. ending song, it's just so good. You can't <laughs> hear it. It's just such an amazing ending.
1: You can't hear yeah, you it and not that song of the scene.
0: Yeah, even when you hear it in another show.
1: Yeah, or like a a cover version of it. Every once in a while I'll hear like an instrumental version of it or something in some sort of show or movie. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. it's Fight Club. I can't separate this song from Fight Club.
0: So much like Fight Club itself, we're going long. So um, let's take a break and come right back and get into the
1: lessons. Okay. Oh, I'm stressed. <laughs> uh, and we're back. And we're back. In a triplicate. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, so uh, I kind of wish, I mean, I'm, I'm, I know we're dissecting the movie itself, but this watching this again after so long makes me want to read the book again
1: yeah and the book it, it's interesting because uh it's one of those i think it's one of the only movies where i will say the movie is better than the book
0: i always had a hard time deciding with this one this is always one of those ones i put up there with like this book in the movie uh fear and loathing in las vegas um though and and high fidelity i feel like these three kind of stand up as like i couldn't tell you which one, they're slightly different experiences, but they're adapted so well that I feel like I'm, you know, I, 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 reading the book just gives you a little more information, but I don't feel like they did anything, anything against what was in the book that I loved about it.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, they gave Tyler Durden a better introduction. It's not him sure. building sandcastles on a nude beach or whatever the hell he was doing on that. Is beach. that what he was doing? <laughs> I know it was on a nude beach. I can't remember if he was building a sandcastle or what, but.
0: Well, it's been even longer since I've read the book than I've since I've seen the movie last, so definitely don't have as many specific memories of that.
1: Yeah, and as much as I like the ending of the movie, I think it makes more sense that the book ends with the narrator essentially in a psych ward, um, I, and that so the people around him in the psych ward are members of Project Mayhem.
0: Sure. Um, and one of the first things I wrote down here Uh, Harkens back to a recent movie we watched Which is Ideas are contagious (laughs) Like a virus (laughs) Yeah So Uh, um, And that really shows in this movie like Because I mean like the Project Mayhem people They're they're just kind of Fight Club, Project Mayhem They're just kind of doing what Tyler says Blindly more or less Like because they believe in him So they just take whatever he says and run with it
1: Yeah And he's telling them essentially what they want to hear Yeah Yeah and that's just right. So this is definitely tern-
0: a reinforcement of yeah. what they already believe. And then they, when they hear somebody powerful saying it, or somebody they perceive as powerful saying it, then they that lifts up that belief even more.
1: Who does that remind you of? Hmm. <laughs> Who could possibly That'd, incite a violent mob with his words by telling them what they want to hear? Hmm.
0: When you put it that way, it really makes me uh, reassess this movie altogether. <laughs> <laughs> but he's going after the wrong people.
1: Well, again, we've established opinion. that Tyler's toxic masculinity is the true enemy here.
0: True, yeah, and he does represent toxic masculinity. So um, so Tyler talks several times about hitting rock bottom and like, that tells the narrator he's not doing enough to like actually go to the bottom. So it's like... He's he's trying to decide if he actually has the ability to go there, but i was I wrote down, is hitting rock bottom romantic or delusional, but I think it's both in this situation like you romanticize the idea of going you know getting rid of everything, losing everything so you can do anything. yeah, but it is on you know on the surface, it is a little bit delusional to think that you can actually like do that you know it's thinking of like um chris mccandless in into the wild like burning all of his money and leaving his car in the desert and running off, running off to alaska to live off the land like there's a bit of delusion in it when it comes to like feeling like you need to get rid of all your worldly possessions to be able to be free but like i understand the desire for it
1: yeah uh now that we're talking about it i feel like I feel like if you're comfortable enough to lose everything, give up everything like that, then then it's in you to be comfortable enough to just do what you want to do and risk losing it without having to give it all up. Uh, I mean, what, right. t- what Tyler is essentially saying is that Edward Norton hasn't like evolved as a person because he's got comfortable things around him. Right, he has these um,
0: safety blankets.
1: Yeah, and, and that's holding him back, which is true, and it's true of a lot of people. But all all Tyler needs to do is get Edward Norton comfortable with losing it to free him up to, to make tougher decisions and not necessarily destroy him as a person and actually make him reach rock bottom.
0: Yeah. Um, I... Uh, I, of, of the hive mind thing, I wrote down. Uh, I wrote down that people are looking for an animalistic expression against the confines of modern life. They don't know how to live like this, and modern life feels like a cancer to them. They want to fight back against it like antibodies.
1: Yeah, I mean, Tyler Durden is essentially trying to almost form like a time machine like bring bringing civilization back to a time when you didn't have these major corporations and credit card companies and all this corporate debt and just when people could just you know build a house and live the way they wanted to on land that was ostensibly stolen from other people but uh in a very corporate way mind you by corporations It was definitely corporations that were settling in America. But, yeah, just taking it back to, he's trying to go back in time, and you just can't do that. You have to find a way of doing it by moving forward, not backward. Who else would want to take back things to the good old days?
0: Are you saying he wants to make America great
1: again? It sounds like it. (laughs) Kind of. (laughs)
0: <laughs> huh. Tyler would look good in a red hat
1: it's Brad Pitt he would look good in anything I mean okay he, he'll
0: look good in anything you're right and nothing so <laughs> um, yeah it's just it's it, it's interesting that you put it that way that he wants to go back to something but they have to like since this movie is so much about capitalism and fighting back against like the confines of capitalism which is good it's like <laughs>
1: Like, fighting against it yes yeah like that's one of the frustrating things about the movie again is the truerisms he says
0: yeah it's just like some people you know you you just they take it too far and in a wrong in a, doing it a wrong way but so he's fighting they're fighting against like the confines and like the the trials of capitalism which is something that is very relatable but some like some people will say, like, "Well, why participate in capitalism if you're against it?" Well, because you have no choice. Like, you have to find a way to fight the system from within and make it better. Like, you can't just burn it down. Like, it's not going to happen that way.
1: Yeah, watch the good place. That's that's all you need to do. Watch the good place.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I for some reason I wrote this quote down here in my lesson section, but the, I wrote that you're not your job, you're not how much money you have, you're not the car you drive. You know all that stuff.
1: You're not your fucking khakis. It's like,
0: <laughs> yeah, you like people do really just identify themselves with the things they own, and like, and it's and it's a little bit of like it's a bit of a defense mechanism in a way, like to be like you like you are hide you're kind of hiding behind the suit that you wear to work or the makeup you put on or the car you drive, whatever it is, or like whatever facade you put up, like this is who I want people to think that I am or know that I am. Yeah. it's kind of also like trying to trick yourself into believing that's who you are too. Like you say, if I present myself and if everybody believes that I'm this, it's kind of like what I was saying, what we were saying about like money. It only exists because I believe it's, uh, I believe it's worth something. And the person that I'm giving it to believes it's worth something. So it's a current, you know, so it works. So like, if I believe that I am this and then everybody treats me like I'm this, then maybe I really am this. But then you have that, Tyler in the back of your head telling you this is not really who you are, <laughs> there's this whole other side of you that you know this is what you wanted, but you've kind of fooled yourself into believing that you can live as this other person.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, you don't have confidence in your own personality, so you try to piece together a personality that you do like with yeah. uh, the things that, you know, your your hobbies or, or your interests Uh, You know, like, pretty much any niche media group, you know, people who love horror movies, people who love anime, people who love, like, blank, anything. Uh, Right. I I mean, people who love movies in general. I, I can't say that I have not taken or, like, created a certain personality for myself around the things that I like.
0: Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. It's like, uh, and they didn't dwell on it too much, but when, uh, a narrator met Tyler on the plane, very briefly, he says, what do you do? And then like, he was like, what do you mean? Yeah. And then he said, what do you do for a living? Yeah. Like he, he clarified because it's like, that's what, that's how people introduce themselves. They say, Hey, I mean, Oh, what do you do? Like, what do you mean? So I have to tell you what my career is for me to be, uh, you know, worthy of this you know the conversation or like that that's what that that's people's knee-jerk reaction to say like what do you do i mean, i could be like well i like i hike i run i listen to music yeah no no, no. how do you make money how do you live you know how do you contribute to our capitalist society? <laughs> Basically, like that is your worth in somebody's eyes. They want to know what you do to make money because that's how they see themselves. Yeah, as like this is who I am.
1: Yeah, they they think they're going to learn more about you by learning what you do for a living than what you do when you're not at work, which is when you are right. yourself.
0: Yeah, like um, not what are your passions. It's what do you? How do you put food on the table?
1: And you know, and especially if they don't know you, they don't know what to talk to you about. So. Let's talk about the thing you do every day.
0: Yeah. And I think Tyler's, was it Tyler who said something? It's like something to the effect of everyone kind of has this vision of who they are in the back of their head of who they could be and who they want themselves to be and how they see their body and who they, how they see themselves. But you, narrator, have, like, finally started to run with it. Like, you yeah. have actually, like, taken the initiative to to go with it.
1: Yeah, that's definitely Tyler. That's in the scene where he finds out that they're the same person
0: yeah that's it and that and that's and that's actually a great point like that he's like you know he's giving he's giving himself over to his like baser instincts and is able to like live as the person that maybe like that's really who he is but i think the problem here is that they they find no balance you know he doesn't find a balance between working a real corporate life and then being the more uh I guess animalistic whatever person, like the kind of person that he is deep inside. He's gone to the far extremes of both sides instead of being able to find a, a middle ground where he's able to put work aside, go home and like just be himself without feeling like he needs the yin yang chair or the yin yang table on his you know, in, in his den to make him complete.
1: Yeah. And more than that, he's blaming his situation and his job and, and everything around him for the way he feels about himself instead of looking at his decision-making where he could. Yeah. He probably has a little bit of money saved away. Like I think I at think one so. point he even mentions that, you know, he was starting to make money or, or something like that. But if he's buying all that stuff, he, he at least has enough to save a little bit so that he can make a bold decision. And and make a change and be okay for at least a little bit, uh, to to try something new, which is by the way a great great excuse for uh, universal basic income, um, or or a livable minimum wage to to, to let people uh, make a big life changing decision <coughs> and still have a usable fallback option where they won't be destitute just because they need to make a change in their life. Totally.
0: And I, and I feel like this is almost like, I mean, I, I like the idea of universal basic income. I don't know if it's going to really happen anytime soon, but I feel like that's almost like the pie in the sky idea of like, that would be the ideal. Yeah. But right now we are at the complete other end where people are just being paid this ridiculously low in like minimum wage income that has not been raised in like 25, 30 years. And Like, where there is a definite middle ground there. Just pay people a living wage. The the minimum wage should be rising with living costs. Yeah. Like, and and, and it's just, it's in, yeah, that's what I mean. And the fact that it hasn't now makes it seem so insane that we would raise it so much, but it's just because it didn't get raised the way that it should have been all along. (laughs) And I know we've talked about this before, but this does feel like you're, you know, the two extremes. You got your, your UBI over here, and you got your, ridiculous low minimum wage over here just this place in the middle is just fine for now you know it's a good step forward yeah but
1: let you know give corporations don't want to do that yeah give people the freedom to uh make big decisions and you start unlocking the potential of the american populace you know
0: yeah and those people with more money contribute more money to the 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 economy and start up small businesses and Buy more things, and that puts more money in circulation. <laughs> it's like that's what yeah. you want.
1: And without but that, like, you start breeding the kind of corporate resentment that Edward Norton feels in in Fight Club.
0: And the kind of corporate resentment that makes people watch Fight Club and go, "Yeah, this is a good idea."
1: Yeah, burn it all <laughs> down.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's how I felt year and a half ago when the BLM protests were going on. I was like, "Yeah, maybe we should burn this shit down." <laughs> yeah, I am totally on their side as far as this goes because I see what the system has done so far. So I'm like, yeah, totally makes, makes a complete sense to me. Um, Yeah. But yeah, uh, I I was going to say aside, aside from like a universal basic income definitely is good to like help people like follow their passions and like create their own businesses and all that kind of stuff. But so is having a livable wage off of one job. So you don't have to work several jobs. So you can actually like pursue your passions the, the later part of the day or in the morning when you're not working like you shouldn't be working 70 hours a week yeah to li- you know to make enough money to have an apartment and get food
1: yeah so. or or again just so that you can make some sort of decision like i'm i'm gonna take a little time off and work on something and or then that. i know if i can find a, a job afterward like if this doesn't work out then the job mm-hmm. I find will at least, even if I have to take a crappy job, it's going to at least pay my rent and yeah. get me food. I mean,
0: there's a lot of good, like, common sense arguments for it um, that that don't work at all, but <laughs> it's for the people who are making the decision. But it's 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 definitely uh, understandable why like sentiments like this rise yeah. quite quite strongly.
1: Yeah, because I mean Tyler um, is essentially trying to unlock people's potential by giving them freedom.
0: Yeah. And I, he's just becoming uh, a terrorist to do it. One of the the last things I have written down here is that everyone has like multiple sides of their personality that they show to different, to people, you know, here and there, but then they have their other one that they suppress. And once we pull too far from that base personality of ours, the uh, your other side starts pulling you back in the other direction and it can pull you real hard. So you might end up going too far the other way just like the narrator does
1: yeah again it's that confidence in your own personality (laughs) which takes a certain amount of self-realization and self-honesty to Mm -hmm. because if you don't like that personality then you have to assess why and if it's because it's actually not that great then you, you know you need to fix it
0: yeah i mean there's i think we already said it but there's not a lot of like self-examination in this movie like he kind of goes you know things are just things kind of just happen to him but he's not really like looking back and saying like why am i feeling like this why am i doing this he's going to support groups but not really bettering himself Mm -hmm. at all he's actually going the opposite direction yeah he's
1: not going to support groups for people with say insomnia
0: (laughs) yeah which have to exist dissociative identity disorder
1: well he doesn't know that yet
0: no, I know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> by the way, the the shot of him saying, "You know, if you wake up in a different place at a different time, can you wake up as a different person?" And it pans to Brad Pitt gliding by. Oh like, yeah,
0: on the on the on the people mover.
1: Yeah, it's a, uh, it's like David Fincher's like, you know, no one's. I'm telling them what's going on. Fifteen minutes into the movie, and unless you already know the story, you're probably not going to guess it until at least very late into the movie. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it's just yeah. like watching watching with the knowledge of what happens at the end. Like th- this is definitely one of those movies where it's like it would be actually really cool to go back and watch this For with a blank slate and see it happen again. But it's a super fun movie to watch after you already know everything that happens. Yeah, and it's just it, like it. It does not. It doesn't disappoint even when you already know all of the the, the reveals. Yeah.
1: It's just like the scene in The Sixth Sense where Haley Joel Osment is saying, you know, I see dead people. They don't even know they're dead. And it, like, it cuts to a close-up of Bruce Willis listening to him say all of this.
0: Yeah, classic. Like, But I'll never find anybody who, like, who would ever like love me or whatever. And then the next scene cuts to the person that they're going to eventually be with. Yeah. <laughs> like, good old... Uh, what Film kind cuts. of
1: idiot would could we get to do this stupid job? And then it cuts to like Seth Rogen or something. Job, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care for Job. <laughs>
0: um, yeah. Well, uh, I don't have anything else. Do you have anything else over
1: there? No. I mean, I didn't have a lot of lessons written down. It was all you know. With this movie, it's only a. a certain amount of all the same lessons interconnected like we yeah were
0: saying. and i mean a lot of the stuff is baked into the quotes that we already talked about in yeah. the beginning and all that too but it's just it's so good i'm glad you suggest this one for this week it's i feel like it's a good good year ender
1: yeah we we've talked about it a bunch uh over this yeah. first year by the way uh yeah so this is the end of our first year next next week will be uh i'm since in Anchor, you can give it season numbers, next week I'm going to start calling it season two.
0: Yeah. Special surprise for season two. Yeah. <laughs> we have a, hey. a few special surprises for season two, actually.
1: Just throwing it out there, much like Fight Club, this podcast started in media res. <laughs> yeah,
0: See, we, we had an arc planned all along.
1: See, we're <laughs> genius, you know, secret genius. <laughs>
0: just took us a while to figure it out
1: yeah
0: (laughs) we're secret geniuses yeah
1: um
0: yeah so well it's been a it's been a great year it's hard to it's in a way it's hard to believe it's been a year (laughs) in a way it's it's it feels like it's been really fast and
1: really last year we started recording a couple months before we started putting them out so it's been over a year since that we've been doing it
0: that that's actually true yeah well, more on that next week, but uh, if you've made it this far into the episode, thanks for sticking with us. And uh, if you want to reach out to us and give us any topics or ideas for the new the new season, uh, you can email us at imitatingart1 at gmail.com. You can find us on social media at imitatingartpod on Twitter and Instagram. And,
1: and if you want to find us individually, you can find me at big F and moose on all of the socials. Spelled like it sounds...
0: <laughs> and then you can uh, find me individually at. Uh, <laughs> don't worry, I'm finite on Instagram uh, at Dinos, Don is finite. Wait, go ahead. Chuck keep, has a finger. Yeah, keep going. Oh, sorry. You can finish your thing. At first. Don is finite on Twitter and YouTube.com/slash. Don't worry, I'm finite.
1: And I just wanted to say before we go that for years, in my cell phone, I had my own number in my contacts list listed under Tyler D.
0: <laughs> I, I totally forgot about that. I feel like we could just we could just do a deep dive on the things you've had in your cell phone, and it could just be a whole episode into itself because we've mentioned s- several things. You you had my name as certain things, something that related to one of the movies Don we Jobin. watched. I think Don Jobin. There we go. See, and um, I had your name as several things in mind. And I can't remember honestly at this point. Uh, all right. Well, thanks for sticking with us. It has been action. It's
1: been real next tuesday for season two season two <laughs> don and chuck will return in imitating art with don and chuck